You're listening to The Itch. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week, I'm scratching a couple itches. One is to see 20 bands that I've never seen before in three days. Sounds like a lot of itches. It was so many itches. And then and then really the big one here, the whole honestly, the whole reason I got tickets and went for three days to finally weigh in on one of the itch's most long-held opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and in case you have told me for many years, <laughs> we're going to settle this. Does the used suck live? Because <laughs> I finally got to find out for myself. But that's day three, and we got, we got day one and two first, so that's a little suspense you get to sit around for. We already know the answer, <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know the <laughs> you're not changing our opinion. <laughs> the people, the people will hear hear my thoughts on this one now, and then we can see if we're all in in consensus or not. <laughs> all right, so the itch has had a lot of fun with festivals this year. Yeah, this summer we did a whole series on one and took a big road trip to uh, cover it, and then uh, in the meantime, a pretty awesome one happens regularly in the city that I live in, so I had to attend it as well. And that would be one Riot Fest. It's going on something like 20 total years and something like 10 or 12 as like a standalone weekend in Chicago. And it's such an interesting thing and it's so different from most rock fests. First of all, it hasn't gone completely the way of random weird pop music like Lollapalooza and some other things like that. Second of all, it tends to book a lineup that's very different than your like Danny Wimmer aftershock yeah. louder than life you know that that particular like like heavy rock and metal they tend to lean a little more punkish and like alternative and then they usually bring in a couple of major mainstream names as headliners and one of the things that they're also really known for that is a lot of fun is they have this weird knack for getting bands to reunite that have been like broken up for like decades somehow they get them to come back together and I think they were really, well, now it's a pretty increasingly common thing, but I think they were one of the first places that kind of dove into the idea of whole album playthroughs. So your set will be, you know, they're going to be at the festival doing this classic album. And so it's got a very unique vibe of all the music festivals I've seen and all the ones that I've heard about. And on top of that, Riot used to be branded as a festival and carnival, and it still maintains some degree of that. Like there's actually a couple of carnival rides. And there's a whole ton of like booths. There's like a, a half pipe for skateboarders and a wrestling ring. And a local record store has a mini setup at the festival that you can actually buy vinyl there. Why you would want to, I don't know. You'd want to carry that around for a whole day, <laughs> but whatever. You can. <laughs> so it's a whole thing. It's, it's an experience. There are plenty of people there that were totally just chilling in lounges and like shopping and stuff more than they were seeing bands. Yeah, you gotta kind of describe the the park because from from what I understand, like this is a lot of bands and there's got to be a lot of stages, I would imagine. And it, it's just kind of curious of how uh, you don't hear that you know that sound bleed from stage to stage. That's a great question. So I think I can paint a picture that more or less more or less covers that base. Um, picture yourself an aerial view of either it could be a square, it could be a rectangle, whatever. It kind of works. So five stages at Riot. The main stages, there's two main stages. They're in the top right of that square facing down. And they're right next to each other, and they only ever have bands alternating on there, kind of like the side stage at Point Fest. Okay. And so all day long, somebody will be on one of those at a time. In the top left, there's another stage that is facing out. It's facing, facing left out towards the edge of the park. And so if you're standing in just the right spot, you will hear some bleed over between that one and the main stages. But for the most part, as long as you are facing the stage. Yeah, if you're facing the stage that you're at, you won't hear anything from anywhere else, really. And then just kind of the more obscure stage is in the bottom right. And it's also facing outwards. And you can't hear that from pretty much anywhere except for when you're pretty close to it. <laughs> and then there's one more that's sort of bottom middle left and it's also facing like down or out and 
it's kind of like a halfway point of the park where she, once you cross a certain point, you can start to hear the main stages and this side stage at the same time. But you have to be in like it's like a little little zone, little strip. And again, it's kind of like once you walk through there, you can just hear the stage you're in front of. So it's it's all in the setup and what direction you face these things. I've learned. Okay. Because it is a big park, but it's not so big that this seems like an easy thing to do. Five stages. <laughs> yeah. But they do it. I had a question for you regarding uh, tickets and entry. Uh, for upheaval, we got a wristband, and then you had to keep the wristband for the two days. Um, I know you've gotten tickets for free in the past, but I think this was the first time that you've covered it uh, as far as press goes. So how did how did that work? Um, so kudos to the Riot Fest team. Technically, I was not approved for a press pass because they only have so many that they give out. Hmm. But what they do, I think for a, most people who apply is they'll offer you if you still want to come, they will offer you a pass. And so what I had was basically just a paper ticket. And it was the same paper ticket that I had to use to enter all three days. Uh, so I had to keep make sure that thing was nice and never got lost <laughs> or else I was SOL. <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah. So like Riot's very, they have multiple opportunities throughout the year to get free tickets. And for all the great things that I personally really respect and appreciate about the festival, the biggest downside is that the people of Douglas Park don't particularly love the festival being there. Yeah. <laughs> it, clogs up their traffic it leaves a mess all over their park grounds it makes a mess for a while after the festival's over they don't love it so riot has a policy of giving out free passes to anybody who lives in that neighborhood as their sort of way of making up for it. like hey you can come be part of it you know sorry we're inconveniencing you but we gotta rock you know so <laughs> they have a really a very i would say like um attendee friendly policies gotcha but there's no re-entry. So once I was in there with that thing, I was there all day until I left. And that was that. Anyway, so we've, we've played this up pretty good. I know this is actually year three we've covered it. Usually we cover it in conjunction with Point Fest because they usually are at the same time. And usually I only go to one day of Riot, so it matches kind of with Point Fest. Yeah. This year, Point Fest was months ago. And I went for three days for the first time ever. <laughs> which is an experience I'm not sure I can handle again. <laughs> it was intense. Like you turn 40 and then try to spend three days out in the sun and a little bit of mud <laughs> seeing all the bands. <laughs> yeah, especially walking around all day too. Walking around all day in crusty shoes because you don't want to mess up any good ones. <laughs> Fortunately, there's plenty of space in this park to just like lay down or sit down in shade and stuff. So you, like I literally like took a little nap at one point in between a couple of sets, like by a wall under some trees. It was great because <laughs> <laughs> you need those breaks. Like you have to strategize. I learned you have to strategize what I'm going to do, what I'm willing to miss. And how can I make sure that if I show up at this thing at like 11 a.m., I still have it in me to sit through the Foo Fighters playing for like two hours at like nine <laughs> in the evening. <laughs> yeah. That's not easy. Let me tell you. <laughs> But on Friday, I did actually get there when the gates opened. And it's actually really serene when you're there before the music actually starts. Like, there's so few people there, especially on Friday when half, you know, a lot of people are working. They're not at that day. Yeah. Uh, at least later. I was just sitting there enjoying the breeze, you know, hanging out, walking around a little bit. It was almost like you got like a sneak peek because it was there wasn't much going on yet. But by the time... Things really get going into the evening, and especially Saturday and Sunday, it is it is packed. It is a full house. So that piece doesn't last very long. Also, it's, you know, it's a very loud festival, so the piece definitely doesn't last long. So what was the idea behind getting there so early on Friday? Was there a particular band you were wanting to see? There was. There was a band called Calva Louise that was playing at 1215, and I've been really getting into them over the past number of months. You guys remember, so we'll bring this back eventually, maybe with them, the Itch International idea, right? Where we're like, let's talk to bands from different countries and see how they, you know, what that experience is. Calva Louise is three people from three different countries who formed a band in a fourth country. And I saw them in a fifth country. It doesn't get more <laughs> international than that. Nice. Yeah, they're from the UK, but their members are from Venezuela France and New Zealand. And I saw them in Chicago. 
They're really cool. It's another one of those. It's a band that they have a, a female lead singer. They might, they're a little sumo psycho-ish in that they have, it's a lot of energy and it's like a futuristic cyberpunk. There's, there's like some story and some lore and some weirdness to it. And I just, I wanted to see them. They were one of my f- most interesting acts on the whole bill. And so I kind of bit the bullet and I was like, most of the bands I'm truly into aren't until way later, but I'm just going to have to, I'm going to go early and bide my time. And so I did by seeing other bands that I wasn't very familiar with to various degrees of impression. But the first three acts I saw were actually all female fronted. And I thought that was really cool. And I've never, that wasn't like intentional. It was just like, that's how it panned out when I walked around. I saw a bit of a band called Pink Shift. And then I saw a band called The Bobby Lees, which I don't believe features anybody named Bobby Lee. So that's false advertising. But <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty cool. It was this like bass driven, like kind of sounded like, I don't know, suicidal tendencies doing ballroom blitz or something like that it was it was definitely like a kind of old school punkish rock sound and i enjoyed that a lot and then i took that nap because i needed to conserve some energy and the reason why is because i needed to see a man who no doubt took a nap that day himself and that is george clinton (laughs) that's another weird thing riot does is they'll bring out like 80 year olds (laughs) for like random sets george clinton and the freaking parliament funkadelic playing in the middle of the day and that show was a whole party (laughs) (laughs) it always is man it was so cool you've seen him oh yeah yeah i saw him at swagstock back in about oh four or five and they played for five hours it was incredible (laughs) holy cow i believe it yeah i bet some of the songs were like 45 minutes themselves something along those lines yeah (laughs) that's what they did like it was all energy there was hands waving. There was 15 people on stage for that show. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you remember as well, but that's what it was. I saw somebody with the most glorious, enormous blue afro that I've ever seen. Bright blue. It was it was amazing. They're out there. They're doing jump around. They're doing We Want the Funk. They're doing uh, that like Bow Wow Wow Snoop Dogg song. Yeah. Not a Snoop Dogg song, but I mean, it was yeah, his. It was the sample. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I recognize it from Snoop. Definitely George Clinton first. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of Snoop stuff was actually ripped from George Clinton in the Parliament of Funkadelic. He's got good taste in... Or sampled or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sampled. <laughs> He's got good taste in his samplage. But yeah, George Clinton, that that crowd of white punk rockers was feeling George Clinton. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a good show. And they're so... I love... You can tell like how old they are and who they are because like at the end of the show, he was like, all right, thanks everybody. Y'all have been real groovy. Like, That's right. You use the word groovy in 2023. If our listeners need an introduction to George Clinton and the Parliament of Funkadelics, I highly recommend going to watch the movie PCU. Oh, just saying. Dan had to get his yearly PCU plug in. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so another fun thing about a festival like this is there's so much diversity in the lineup and. I went from George Clinton to Code Orange. <laughs> That's definitely interesting. Who is freaking brutal. Like, they're, they were easily the most intense act on the whole lineup, which is, is wild compared to what P-Funk was, which was like the, you know, happy-go-lucky. It's just a jam. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I got to be honest. They have a lot of tools in their kit because... They have multiple members who do multiple things, including multiple vocalists and who can all scream as well. And like they're they're capable of changing up their sounds and whatnot. But if I'm being honest, I just don't quite get or enjoy them. I wanted to check them out because they're they're a band I've you know, listened to their album. We did an episode on them. The I think the one episode that doesn't have Dan in it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What's funny about that is we were talking about making time to see them on Shiprocked. And I don't know from your uh, your your review. I don't know if I will. I mean, I guess it all depends on who's playing opposite of them. Yeah, just you know, check it out for your schedule. Maybe give them a couple of songs and see how you feel about it. Yeah, it's like one of those things where like they're up there pummeling and they brought it. Like they were definitely giving it their all. I just was having a hard time vibing to it myself. I can sort of still see why people like them, and I still there was stuff on that uh, their album from a couple years back that I enjoyed, but yeah. 
overall, they're not my thing. Yeah. In general, they're typically not my style as well, but I understand why they're kind of the it band currently. Yeah. Especially in that, that heavier than the it usually goes realm. Yeah. So then uh, two things happened. One, another massive dynamic shift in the sound of what I was listening to. And second, you guys, I, I, I developed a pretty massive crush very quickly at the next band <laughs> All right. when I switched over to the other main stage following Code Orange to see Ska Band, The Interrupters. That was such a great show. I don't know how familiar you guys are with them, but Amy Interrupter, she got me real quick. And I was <laughs> tragically disappointed to discover that the guitarist is her husband. <laughs> so... <laughs> It didn't ruin the set, though. They still killed it. They were, they were super fun. <laughs> Who is also related to everybody else in the band, apparently. Correct. They literally are a family. Yes. The guitarist is her husband, and the rhythm section are his twin brothers. <laughs> All right. Yes. That is crazy. True story. Yeah. It's interesting because she's the, the lead vocalist for the group, but he is the most talkative. He did a lot of the crowd banter in between. And I think that's really interesting when those are not the same person. Yeah. But uh, they were super grateful to be there because they actually played at the Rebel stage, which is like the smaller stage, like 10 years ago at Riot before anybody knew who they were. Another feather in the cap there is that this festival has a way of kind of picking up on bands that will become bigger deals before they before they uh, start that rise. But man, they were so cool. There was a great moment where uh, the <laughs> the drummer... I don't know how he did it, but but the guitarist looks back at him. He's like, hey, you broke your snare drum. He's like, uh, you must have been hitting it too hard back there. And he goes, that wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that Josh Fries of Foo Fighters is watching you from the side of the stage. is it?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a fun thing that um, I, we should keep more of an eye out for, especially at festivals, is bands watching each other play. That's I think that's so cool when that happens. But. I love them. I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to be investing more time in listening to the interrupters because their their live set just it had great vibes is really what it was. They did a toast at the end of it, like, you know, cheers to the crowd and everything. Really cool. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel a little bit bad about this one. If any of the guys from our friends from Patio Slave are listening, uh, deepest apologies to you. I mostly skipped quicksand in order to go to Los Camales and get an asada burrito. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it is nothing personal, but uh, a man had to eat at that point. And, uh, and somebody had to, to be sacrificed and it was quicksand. <laughs> Interesting observation. Quicksand was doing one of those album plays and they had an hour long set booked, but their album was only 40 minutes. So they were just done. <laughs> they just finished up early. <laughs> wow. It's a choice. Not even going to play some other songs. Well, that's what the next band did. The Breeders were there, famous for their their hit Cannonball, which was really cool to hear live. They're not a band I paid much attention to beyond that song, but it was really neat to hear it. And they did the opposite. They had their album set. And when they finished it, they were like, we're going to play some more songs now. And so they did. <laughs> they were funny. They were very self-aware about the idea of playing an album all the way through. She's like, we're going to play this record from 93. It's called Last Splash. And we're going to play it from beginning to end, including all the slow, weird songs that you don't play live. <laughs> and so I got a kick out of them. They were really cool. And then the main event for that first night, Turnstile. Turnstile is a band I've been getting into over the past couple of years. They're probably what I would call like the most accessible modern, like hardcore band because they're very catchy and there's very, there's a lot of singing mixed in with that that kind of hardcore screaming and riffage. And um, man, they were another one that just really brought the energy. And after Code Orange, I was a little bit worried that another one of these heavy-ish bands might be disappointing, but they were not. They were great. There was a pit started in the crowd before the first song began. <laughs> you know you're onto something if you don't even have to start playing and a pit start. <laughs> but... Uh, and they had such great energy. The vocalist looked like he was in a trance most of the time. He was just up there moving and putting everything he had into it. I would love to see the Oxys tour with those guys. I know we like to squeeze them into a lot of episodes, and that's it for this episode. <laughs> they would be a great fit. Whew. So that was so good, and I was 
wiped out by that point. Um, but <laughs> I still had like two hours to go. <laughs> yep. All day. Because the Foo Fighters play play marathon sets. <laughs> I had never seen them before. I'm sad that I didn't get to see them with Taylor. But, I mean, it, it lived up to the hype, I will say. And I could see why some people might not love it entirely. So so here's here's you can take this for whatever you want. My take on the Foo Fighters is that for the last 10 to 15 years, most of their albums are a few songs for me. They're not albums I'm going to, most of them are not albums I really want to sit through. The great thing about a live set is a live set is largely a greatest hits collection. Yeah. And so all those songs I don't want to sit through, I don't have to because they keep it to the best stuff for the most part. Yeah. (laughs) Which makes the Foo Fighters a fun live show. On the flip side, they also like to jam most of their tracks that are like four minutes on the radio become five or six live. Like I looked at my clock and I counted how many songs they played. It was seven songs and there were 45 minutes in. That's like six and a half minutes or something. I don't know. I'm not good at math either. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a food fighter, when your typical food fighter song is about three and a half minutes long at that. Yeah. So they stretch them out because they're always doing these jams in the middle of them. And also Dave loves to take interludes to chat with the crowd. Which is is very much to their credit. So like he he randomly pointed out a guy in the in the crowd that had a Metallica shirt on and started playing like twenty seconds of Inner Sandman just for the fun of it. Also, I love that he just like appears to always be chewing gum. It's <laughs> like what a chill thing to be doing while you're putting on a rock show. <laughs> he loves Chicago because he says that the first concert that he ever saw was a band called Naked Raygun at the Cubby Bear in Chicago in like eighty three or something. And so he's got a little soft spot right there. But um, I had a good time with these guys. He did a cool thing where they introduced each band member and then they would they didn't just do like your solo. They would play like snippet of like a cover of something and he would introduce them from the other bands that they were in before Foo Fighters. And it's really interesting when you catch how much of like a murderer's row like all stars he's built up from other people in the rock scene, even though the Foo Fighters have been together for ages together as well. Yeah. Pat Smear with the band still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Introduced as Pat Smear from the Germs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's what he does. But yeah, their set list was, was fantastic. It was most of the things that you would expect, plus a couple of really cool ones that I didn't didn't necessarily expect to get into. Like, like they busted out Generator, which was fun. They do a version of My Hero, I don't know how long they've been doing it this way, and I have no idea if it has anything to do with Taylor or not, but it starts with an acoustic build, and they never really do that, what I would call iconic, like, drum intro to My Hero. I think that's always, it, it was either that or Everlong that that I remember that was like an acoustic opening, but I think you're right, I think it was My Hero. So I think they've been doing that for a long time, to be honest. Maybe they have. I will say, um, so the the big story, if you're seeing Foo Fighters now, is how is Josh Freese fitting into the group, in my opinion. And I dug the guy. For one, he's super smiley. (laughs) He was very happy to be there the whole time. For two, if you've looked at all the stuff that he's recorded on, you know that the guy is capable of doing just about anything. Yeah. Including impromptu covers of songs he's probably almost never played live. So uh, at one point, and I had to verify this later, and I did find out. That it was true. At one point, he was like, what do you guys want to hear? Like, girl girl was. And somebody yelled, white limo. And he was like, oh, man, you want to play the punk rock song? Okay. Um, Or no, the metal, whatever he called it. You know, the metal song or whatever, because it's kind of their motorhead. Yeah. He's like, oh, man, you want to hear that one? And he looks back at Josh, and he's like, can we do this? (laughs) And Josh Freeze just kind of looks back at him and kind of just smiles and shrugs. And he's like, yeah, I think I can do it. And so they just impromptu played the song that presumably they've hardly ever done live before by request. And Freeze was spot on, like no problems at all. So I appreciated his confidence in just taking on something like that. And also, in case you were wondering, I guess now now a little bit of time has passed. It makes sense to pay tribute to your fallen band member in the moment, but you don't want to like dwell on it and make it your whole identity going forward. So there wasn't much of what I would call like Taylor's fingerprints on the show. But they did play the song Aurora, which he says that they, as a band, agreed to play every night, probably forever. 
because he said it was Taylor's favorite Foo Fighters song and I think the first one that they wrote together. So every show the Foo Fighters play gets Aurora as as a Taylor Hawkins tribute. All right. That was really neat. But man, yeah, it was it was a fun it was a fun set. I somehow I think just it's so impressive that you can be a band of guys like in your 50s and have that much energy every night. And like I just I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I don't get how they do that, but they do. Yeah, I think you just got to love what you do that much. And the Foo Fighters clearly love what they do that much. And if you're doing it consistently, you know, it's kind of like a workout in itself. So, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, they're not doing as many shows the last couple of years as they did before that. But I'm I'm presuming they'll start ramping it back up a little bit. Not that they need to, but it seems like they want to. So, yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So that was day one. (laughs) Day two was a little bit different. And I want to give you the one. I could have done an entire episode. It was just a shirt alert nonstop because there were so many crazy shirts at this place. But I'm just going to give you one shirt that I saw at the beginning of day two that made me chuckle. And it said Thick Lizzie on it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I just thought that that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I was just curious what time you arrived to the show on day two. I got there at like 3 p.m. on day two. I did not get there at like 11 or 12. I waited. I did some exploring during White Reaper's set. You mean you miss Corey Feldman? What the hell? <laughs> I almost went to Corey Feldman. I thought about it just because, like, what a weird opportunity. Exactly. I sincerely debated, like, do I go and see Bowling for Soup and Corey Feldman? And I was like, no, I need to conserve my energy because tonight is, is a triple threat at the end of the night, and I got to be got to be there for it all. <laughs> so Donatello was out. Correct. <laughs> I will always respect him for that, though. <laughs> uh, if I had to give an award, even more so than the Interrupters, for a band that probably most impressed me and, and like status grew with me for having seen them live at this show, it would probably be the first band that I actually sat through their set at on day two, and that was Enter Shikari. Those dudes are wild, and they just... I'm trying to figure out how to describe them. It's sort of this like electro punk rave thing that they have going on. It's very dancey, but it's also pretty aggressive. And the dude has the wildest dance moves up there, but also some great British charm in the way that he speaks in between things and like a great British haircut. So, man, that show was wild. There was a pineapple in the pit. There was literally a dude running around in the pit holding up a pineapple above his head. (laughs) The whole time I was paying attention to that pineapple because I was like, I want to see if that thing survives. <laughs> and it did for the whole set. Wow. Super impressive. That guy. I was going to say, is it, is it an inflatable pineapple? Is it a real pineapple? It was a real pineapple. <laughs> I want to know its fate. What happened to that pineapple later on in the day? <laughs> I mean, I have some ideas because I think there was a lot of people there who were who were under some influences. <laughs> and uh, who, I mean, which they probably were hungry or I don't know who knows. <laughs> But these guys were so cool. He called the festival Sterling, which is a very posh word and I got a kick out of. <laughs> One thing that I think is a great sign of your set is when the pit continues to expand as the show goes on. I'm not, a, we're, we're, we've gone over this. The itch is not moshers, but I still respect that bands can, that can get a good mosh pit going. And from where I was standing the entire time this set was going on, I kept getting pushed back a little further and a little further because it was growing and growing (laughs) dude there was a luchador in there uh (laughs) i saw people crowd surfing and singing to each other while they surfed they (laughs) they were nuts and enter shikari has a rapid fire segment all right not of questions yes they call it the quick fire round and that's when they squeeze four of their songs into seven minutes. <laughs> they basically make a mini medley so that they can fit all four of those songs in there. He calls it the quick fire round. <laughs> all right. So major shout out to those guys. Super cool. As we say, there's always firsts at a good set. Uh, I saw a, a little bit of a band called Head Automatica after that. And all I want to make specific note of is the fact that the man's bass drum rim was felt falling off during the set and they sandbagged it. Like they literally brought out sandbags and put them all around the, the drum to hold the rim on. <laughs> and it worked. Interesting. 
I thought that was just for flooding, but apparently, <laughs> apparently it's for drums. So that it was it was pretty cool. And then Frank Turner, he's such an interesting part of what I would call punk rock because he's like he's set like the semi-acoustic like Americana with like a piano and a harmonica, but also he's like from the UK. But somehow he is as punk rock as anybody else on the lineup. He even had rules for what for what happens at a punk rock show, which I, I slightly modified for conciseness. <laughs> Two rules. And I think that these are solid. I think that these stand. One, if someone falls, you pick them up. Two, if you know the words, you sing along. I feel like that is a reasonable ask of your crowd. He also made a quote that has stuck with me since seeing this um, and I think about it whenever we're trying to book people in terms of how we approach interviews and stuff he said there's it's a lyric in one of his songs he says there's no such thing as rock stars there's just people who play music and I like that idea we're always talking about oh we're going to interview this rock star I'm like yes but also that's just a guy who probably has an allergy to some weird food <laughs> and all kinds of other like weird quirks you know about them they're just a person and so I don't know it's kind of a fun thing to to remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that we've ever I, 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 there's been very few people I think we've interviewed that I've like looked at was like, oh, my God, this is the quintessential rock star, except maybe like Kenny Wayne Shepard or Joe Bonamassa. But like most of the people we've kind of quote unquote grew up with, so to speak, like what I mean by that is like by playing them as they've either come out um, or, you know, we we were we were here first. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. All right. And then most of the people that we speak with, it becomes very apparent very quickly because they're down to earth human beings, that they are just people who play music yeah, and who love music. Yeah. And I like that. I will. I, I prefer to keep it that way. I'm not interested in the pretense of, of rock stardom, but neither was Frank. He's very much a man of conviction. Uh, some of his convictions are a little different than mine, but nonetheless, he definitely would be a person that if you were trying to study songwriting, I think he would be a good person to learn from because I think he he has it down to a real art. And actually, give me just a second. I have to get a prop ready. A prop. Yeah, you're going to ch- you're going to see something great here. <laughs> so then we're up to the main event of day two. And well, sort of the main event. It was like I said, it was a triple main event. So, so you passed all the death bands. <laughs> Sort of. I heard Death Grips. I heard them while I was walking around. Death Grips is freaking weird. It's like it's like this dark, like industrial, like punk rap kind of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was very like rhythmic and hypnotic, like repetitive. The note that I took was (laughs) I hope that they don't hear this and think this is an insult. (laughs) It's not. But (laughs) The note I took was, it's like if peanut butter jelly time was insane and unintelligible. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to death grips. (laughs) It's not an insult. It's just I was trying to figure out a way to put words to what I was hearing. An observation. (laughs) I just thought it was funny, too, how like death grips is right before death cab for cutie. And how their sounds are so drastically different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Death grips is very intense and, and, and death cab is very... Well, they have intensity in their own way, but they are they are light. They're very light. <laughs> yeah. Which he actually made a joke about that. It was which I thought was pretty great. So Death Cab's been doing this thing. In two thousand three, Ben Gibbard, the front man of Death Cab, put out probably their most critically acclaimed album. It's called Transatlanticism. And he also did this side project, this one off electronic album called The Postal Service. Both came out the same year. Both were like massive benchmarks in like indie music and whatever. So they've been doing a tour this year where they play both where death cab does transatlanticism and postal service does uh, give up their album. And so they did that at riot. And then in between them, they stuck Queens of the stone age. (laughs) So they had a minute, you know, well, 45 minutes to rest or so between. So death cab, they get the award for, for cutest of the festival. They're not punk rock at all. Um, It's very, you know, emotional and, 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 you know, heart wrenching and sweet and whatnot. Ben still has a great voice and he still has a very good youthful charm to him. But he was very aware of where he was. So he was like, he's like, it feels really weird to have Queens of the Stone Age playing between our sets. He's like, it's like a rock sandwich 
with the two wimpiest pieces of bread that you can possibly <laughs> imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't wrong because I, I loved Death Cab set, but Queens came out after that. They start off with No One Knows. That crunchy guitar son that they have comes on. Holy cow. It was wild. They, they're another one of those that there's only a couple of Queens albums I can listen to start to finish. But live, when you trim the fat, it was it was epic. <laughs> they did Make It With You. It was like eight minutes long. <laughs> I was like, this is the sleaziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so it's so sleazy. And I thought it was kind of funny. I was looking around at this. First of all, at this, uh, I think it was back on day one, uh, I was offered drugs like a high schooler, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> which by the way you can say no to that at any stage in your life <laughs> it is perfectly fine but then the second day i was thinking i was like i'm over here sneaking in snacks like you're not really supposed to bring food into this thing people do whatever they want nobody really cares but <laughs> during queens i was like what kind of food do i have in my bag and i look think about it i'm like man there's some people here that have contraband ecstasy <laughs> i have contraband fig newtons on me <laughs> 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 it's hardcore man i'm so hardcore yeah <laughs> So you mix the two together. <laughs> I did not, but you could. You just need to find the guy with the pineapple. Where's pineapple? We need. To, I need to wash this down. These are the craziest fig newtons I've ever had. <laughs> Everything feels so awesome. Oh, it was wild. It did. Uh, also, a quick note. Shout out to Los Camales, because I went back and got another asado burrito for dinner on the second day it was that good the first time so that means you you passed up seeing the juggalos you know so here's the thing <laughs> i saw queens of the stone age i got i got a note also a song for the dead was their finale that might get the award for coolest single song performance of the whole festival that song was insane i don't even have good words to use but it was awesome. Queens Queens is very impressive. Have you guys seen them live? No, I have not. Have they headline a point list or something? No, no I have not. Uh-uh. Okay, fair enough. So they finished up. I got to see the Postal Service. I've never, I never was that big into that one album they had, but they have a couple of big, big songs. Everybody should probably know such great heights at least. It's kind of this electro pop thing. Um, very wholesome. Death Cab wore black, and when they came out as the Postal Service, he they were wearing white. Which I thought was kind of a neat juxtaposition. Yeah. They also have Jenny Lewis from the band Rilo Kylie as part of the Postal Service as vocals. And that is really cool to see her live. So I checked out a little bit of that. And then, as Dan noted, the Insane Clown Posse (laughs) was playing on like that far, far away from the main stage stage. (laughs) And it started gnawing at me a little bit. I was like, how many people in their life could say that they saw the Postal Service? And the ICP in like a five minute span. So you guys, check this out. <laughs> you got some Figo. I told I you. <laughs> I told you. I I, I got giant <laughs> Fago cola bottle. To explain this a little bit further, so he sends us a text. He's like, guys, I feel a little out of place. There's a lot of juggalos here. And I said, so many juggalos. I said, dude, just get some Fago. You'll fit right in. <laughs> I had to go over and at least say that I saw some of the ICP. And I did. And it was bonkers. It was exactly what you would expect. <laughs> uh, a lot of raps about violence. Um, literally tables full of Fago. And whenever they would spray it and stuff and get rid of it, they would people would come out. They had roadies refilling the Fago table. It was, did they love their Fago? I don't understand it. I can't fathom it. But good lord, did they love their fucking Fago? I did, I had no idea. I was like, this is so. And then you know, there's some some friendly juggalos that were a guy that was I think filling his girlfriend in on all the details of ICP lore, <laughs> and I'm sure that that was super attractive to her. Um, and so <laughs> people were having a good time. Oh. Here's a, here's a great one. The first song I hear when I walk up is a song called The Greatest Show. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Which KC also might recognize that one from a certain period in about 1998, WWF. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as the theme song for The Oddities. Yes, yes. 
I heard ICP perform the Oddities theme song <laughs> live. <laughs> and if my night hadn't been made already, that would have done it. <laughs> so I saw like 15 minutes of them so I could say I did. Then I went back and saw the rest of the Postal Service when they were getting back to the songs that I knew on their album. Because the, the ones I knew were at the beginning and the end, so it was perfect. And then they brought out Death Cab, and they did a collective Postal Service Death Cab cover of Depeche Mode's Enjoy the Silence to finish the night, and it was wonderful. <laughs> All right. That's cool. So I'm going to put this out there to listeners. I want to know the weirdest back-to-back artist that you have seen. has to be the same day, same show, somehow. Because I'm going to put Postal Service into Insane Clown Posse up there as, as a nearly unbeatable back-to-back. How in the world did that happen? <laughs> right next to, to George Clinton versus Code Orange, like <laughs> twice, in the, twice in the same weekend. <laughs> oh man! Day three, day three was the shortest day. I didn't go until about four thirty or so. I really only wanted to see four bands that day. I really was only there for one, to be totally honest. The others were more for posterity because I needed to see them and decide how I felt about them because I've known about them for a long time and they're big deals. So I went, this was what I would call emo day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least for me. Yeah. yeah. I saw AFI who I will always love for the couple of album intros. They had one that was on an episode of Smallville that still haunts me. The greatest use of that song ever. I love that. They, that you know exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, AFI's coolest song is <laughs> it's like 45 song. seconds long we've played it on the radio just because it's just awesome it's like 45 <laughs> seconds long but who cares Prelude is great and then they had the song that, that was CM Punk's theme song in like Ring of Honor and that was great too yeah they know how to open an album so one thing observation I made on this day was because they they tend to book a lot of lesser known young bands at the beginning of the day and then you know a lot of veterans and like legends and stuff at the end of the day which makes sense you build up to the biggest names the further in the day you go at riot what you get is a lot of the further you get into do they still have it territory (laughs) and i'm not going to say that anybody that i saw at any point during this festival didn't have it but i will say for me afi was not very interesting they did not excite me or keep my attention very well they were serviceable they played their songs and they sounded fine i guess <laughs> but i just didn't get into them that much i wouldn't i've never been like a massive afi fan but they they've survived in the industry as long as they have for a reason so i had to give them the benefit of the doubt and see i've seen them a couple of times and honestly i think the the draw to them is their singer it, it, it's all on him he's got a phenomenal voice and if he's feeling it you know it's going to be a good show I, but so i, I think that could be it maybe yeah I will give him credit for one thing that this was a recurring theme throughout the weekend, but I think he said it best. So the cure was the finale, the grand finale of all of Riot Fest. And so throughout the weekend, you would hear different people praising the cure and being excited about being there with them because they just they're so that level. But Davey Havoc was like, he's like, listen, if you meet a member of any band here, no matter what they say, they were influenced by the cure. If they deny that, they're probably lying. <laughs> He's like, they're one of the greatest bands of their generation, and they influence functionally like everybody. And I would definitely say I could see that in their music, for sure. And to some degree, really, both of the other bands I went to see as well. I appreciated the respect that a band like that was getting. Just the same way that people were excited about having the Foo Fighters as the finale on Friday. The schedule on Sunday kind of sucked, because like, it looks like AFI, Flogging Molly, and Fence were all kind of playing like the same time. Kind of. So the end of AFI overlapped with the beginning of Finch. So I ended up, as listeners may know, <laughs> the Nashville trip yeah. earlier this year to see Chemical Fire and Winona Fighter. I was originally going to see Finch that week and ended up skipping that show to see Chemical Fire. So this is my chance to make it up. Flogging Molly, cool as they are, they were completely passed over. I had to see my Finch set to make up for the fact that I didn't before. Yeah, makes sense. But yeah, that was definitely one of those tough ones in terms of of some band overlap. Yeah, it's probably like the hardest of the whole weekend, in my opinion, was was that three that block right there, the three of them all together. That'd have been tough to choose, I think. That's fair. Like I said, the AFI Finch overlap was only like five or ten minutes. So, you know, whichever one you go on, that, you still get almost the entirety of the other. 
But flogging Molly was smack dab overlapping half of both of their sets. So you really had to choose if you wanted to see them or not. Also, the Dresden dolls were performing during the end of Finch's set, and they're kind of cool in their own right. Not fully my thing, but I get their appeal. Anyway, so Finch was a good a big deal to me because I would put What It Is to Burn as one of the best albums of that entire, I guess, I don't know what you call it, like post-hardcore or whatever genre. It's not a genre that I relate to very much. So if you have an album that is like that type of music and I dig it, I mean, there has to be something to it, I feel like. Yeah. Because for the most part, albums, even other Finch albums, I didn't really dig. But that one, I feel like it holds up and I feel like it is stellar start to finish. This set was not them playing it through like they were at the show we missed, but it was largely songs from that because it is their bread and butter. These guys were interesting because Finch is barely a band. They they had like a they broken up and they it was only recently that they got together to play these reunion shows. And so you could kind of tell that it was almost like they were still getting their sea legs, even though they've been doing shows all year. But you could tell that like they sounded good, but I did you definitely didn't get the impression that like this was their full time thing all the time. The way that, you know, AFI has they came out there and, you know, they've they've got everything pretty polished, you know. But Finch was they were fun. It was and it was interesting to me actually, I think maybe the flogging Molly and or Dresden doll sets were full because it took a while for the Finch crowd to fill out, I feel like. Uh it did more and more as the time went on. But it was uh it took a minute for like a feeling out process. I feel like it was, it was kind of interesting at one point, uh, their vocalist, uh, Nate Barraclough, he goes, he kind of stops. And he's like, you guys have a curious energy. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that to a crowd before. <laughs> he's like, but I appreciate it. I appreciate that you're here, but you could tell he was like that there wasn't truly that much of a connection just yet. And then they played this song called stay with me. And it was a huge hit with the crowd. And after that, you could see this like look of relief on his face. And he's like, Oh, Thank you guys very much for participating in that. I was not expecting that. <laughs> it's like it took them a while to like win the crowd, but like once they did, it was great. So I don't know. It was it was a cool set, and I'm very glad that I got to check that off of my list of finally seeing them. And I feel like Nate is a person that not only would I be down to interview sometime, but I feel like we could like be buddies with him. He just seems like a <laughs> like an everyday dude. He just very much seemed like an everyday dude that you could chat about stuff with. Cool. But yeah, there was. I love when there is, um, I don't know what you call it, like poetic moments. And so they're on this side stage and it's they're playing at like five or six. And so like you're starting to see some of the sundown. And there's a line in the song that says there's no sympathy from the sun. And he like when he sings that he was like he like drew attention to the fact that they were looking directly at the sun <laughs> as they were playing. Like, hey, when nature helps out your your set, it gives you those little freebies. That's that's a nice deal. Yeah. <laughs> So they were fun. And then and then it was time for, you know, the real main event here, guys. <laughs> it was time for the used. I know you were waiting all weekend to see them. All weekend for the used. You guys have said for years they've been almost a running gag about how much you did not enjoy seeing the used live. And I'm pretty sure your data is based on like 20 years ago. No, it's well, maybe, but it's three different occasions. Yeah, as well. it's, it started 20 years ago, but it's it's been over the last I, I, I think it's been about five years or so since we saw, saw them last i was in the beer line last so i didn't i didn't see them technically that time but yeah dan, dan was in the beer line <laughs> dan learned his lesson the first time yeah he's like i'm making a wise choice he, he purposely got a beer during that but didn't expect yes. to miss the entire set but it was it was okay that you did happy coincidence yes but maybe wasn't mad about it yeah. no yeah not at all <laughs> i filled them in i was like they did multiple covers of other people's yeah. stuff and yeah i heard it so what was your impression this time, Aaron? Um, so, <laughs> first of all, they had a smoke cannon. That was pretty dope and unexpected. I didn't, I didn't see that coming on the side stage. So I, I dug that. <laughs> the overall thought that I had as it went on was I can get why people do and don't like Bert in particular. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bert, he's very charismatic. And he's very crowd interactive. He also is kind of weird. Yep. And so like, and he would say these very like kind of strange and sometimes like extravagant, although albeit tongue in cheek things. Like at one point he was like, 
all right, everybody, I want you to put your hands in your mouth and pull out all your teeth. And I'm like, maybe that's a reference to a song, but it's still a little bit weird thing to yell. Anyway, but he would say things like, make your make some noise for your favorite band and mine, The Used. <laughs> and so like, I could get where somebody might be like, what an arrogant thing to say. He was clearly joking, but it's still, it's not everybody's taste. Our preference is not based on what he says. I, I just am not a fan of, of them live their performance live so to speak so the thing the thing that that disappointed me about the live show wasn't that anybody sounded bad i thought they all sounded perfectly technically fine and like what you would expect the use to you'd hope the use would sound like it was a song selection thing yep because most of the use that i know is from 15 or 20 years ago and that's the stuff that i would be interested in hearing and they've made a lot of music since then they're a very consistent band so they played a ton of stuff that I didn't know that was from newer albums that I haven't paid attention to. So I'm over here hoping I can get like buried myself alive in some of these songs from from a long, long time ago. And he just didn't really get many of them. And so that was kind of disappointing because that was what I was hoping to hear. So I was kind of lost at a lot of it. But uh, I mean, they were technically sound. He had more presence than Finch did for as much as I enjoyed Finch. And they were more interesting than AFI was because, again, the last thing you want to do is bore somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they didn't do that. But yeah, I mean, I, again, I could get why why you, you might not dig it. Um, they did do one thing that might have backfired in you guys' favor if you were there. Uh, before their last song, he's like, this is the next song is the greatest song ever written. <laughs> I want you, it was not, it was not Tenacious D. It was not a <laughs> um, <if> you're wondering. <laughs> he's like, I want you to get out all of your depression and anxiety I want you to boo us as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> to which most people did out of affection. Perhaps the itch might have done it out of sincerity. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. He wouldn't even have to ask me. Like I just <laughs> like I already was booing. Yeah. I started booing, and then <laughs> I booed when I got here. He was trying to cover up the booze by asking people to boo you. Right. Yeah. I'm controlling the booze. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> They're booing me because I want them to. Ah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is a disappointing reaction. I wouldn't say that they sucked live. I wouldn't say that I would go see them again live. <laughs> but again, I think a lot of it came down to just unfamiliarity with the track choices that they made. I might have been a bigger fan if they played stuff from the era that I most appreciated. The last time we saw them, they mostly just talked about how great they were in between songs and then played other people's songs. That's what he does. That was definitely his shtick was like how awesome they are. Like I said, it, yeah. it felt very tongue in cheek to me. I didn't get the impression that he was truly arrogant. Well, no, like I didn't take a, I didn't take offense to it when he did it, but it was just it, it was just all the time, like the whole the yeah. whole set. Yeah, it was his persistent vibe for sure. So. They didn't do any covers in this set. They did interpolate Smells Like Teen Spirit into their last song, uh, Box Full of Sharp Objects, but that's the closest thing. All right. So I, I had to settle that matter. And yeah, again, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say I'd have a disdain for them so much as you guys do, but I also I wasn't won over either. And so I'm kind of neutral. I'm kind of meh on the used. Maybe maybe he doesn't like St. Louis. Maybe that's the deal. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so was that your headlining band or did you stay for The Cure? So here's here's the thing. Uh, the Cure was there to close out the festival. And there's a couple of excellent things I can say about The Cure. As impressive as it is for the Foo Fighters to go an hour and a half or two hours, The Cure is even older. And they play 26 songs in their set list. Wow. And that's like a, in a, two hour, a little bit over two hours, too. Yeah, they've been they had the longest set of the whole thing, and they've been doing this since like the 80s. And Robert Smith still sounds like he cares. And I think that is that is an important thing. Nice. You know how many bands check out after a certain stage in their career. Yeah. He seems like a guy who still very much feels and means what he's doing. And so I have a great amount of respect for them for that. At the same time, I had two I had three realizations that I had to account for in seeing this set. One, I had been at three days of a music festival and I was freaking tired. All I wanted to do was go home and lay down. Two, it had rained earlier that day, 
So it was dark and kind of muddy and sloshy out there. So it wasn't really even a comfortable environment to like sit and watch something. Hmm. And three, as legendary as the cure is, I don't have a personal emotional attachment to them. I have a few songs that I really like, and half of those are from covers other bands have done of them that made me love them. And so I didn't feel compelled at that stage to sit through 26 songs just to say that I did. You know what I mean? That's what it would have been. I would have just been doing it to say that I did. Yeah. At that point, I didn't have it in me. So I was like, I'm going to listen to like the first handful. So I got to hear like Pictures of You, which is, I think, one of the best Cure songs and Love Song. I really wanted to make sure I got a couple of ones that I knew in there. And then after that, I was like, I think I'm good. I was like, it's time to check out. And so they were a great cap to the to the weekend. But I don't regret not sitting through the whole thing because I don't think I would have gained more. Right. Than I did by seeing like 15 minutes of it, you know? Yeah. But they're a huge get for the festival, for any festival. And they still the festival respected them so much that I don't believe there was actually anybody playing opposite them. Just a band called Through and Through on the small stage for 30 minutes in between their set. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, like at the end, like we said, you know, uh, ICP was playing during the postal service. Mr. Bungle was also playing. So if you wanted to see like some funk metal kind of stuff going on, you could have done that as well. That was a a weird trifecta all playing at the same time on Saturday. But yeah, Sunday, for the most part, it was just two hours. And if you're here, you're seeing the cure. If you're paying attention to the music at all, that's it. So there's a great amount of respect that the festival clearly had for them. Well, it. I also noticed too, I thought that was interesting. Like the, the schedule on, on Sunday was a lot shorter. Like it started at two and it ended basically right before 10 o'clock. Yeah. So there was actually a rain delay. Um, they, it, because it was raining earlier in the day, they delayed uh, the start of the festival and the first handful or so of bands that were supposed to go on at like noon, they, they basically got cut, which uh-huh. is unfortunate for them, but. Yeah, so like the sets didn't really start until, I don't know, like Thursday. I think the band Thursday might have been like the first one. Yeah, two o'clock. Yeah, if you look, you can find the original schedule. It starts at like noon. So interesting. But man, I, I, I just the fact that it was 20 that I saw 20 bands and not one of them was a band that I had seen before <laughs> is crazy. That's a whole bucket list just in one thing right there. Yeah, I got to see up and coming bands. I got to see legends and all at the cost of a carne asada burrito <laughs> for two days each day. <laughs> two days. I don't remember if I got one the third day or not. I might. Have. <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. <laughs> the cost of that and, and, and the drive over, which typically is a huge hassle, but was actually surprisingly easy itself. And I got this crushed up Fago bottle as a souvenir. <laughs> Who knows how long I'll keep that. <laughs> if somebody comes in my room and sees this and recognizes it and is like, are you a secret juggalo? And I have to explain to them, not in a million years. But, <laughs> but I did see them. <laughs> I did see your voice. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I know. I know you guys kind of dig like, you know, the upheaval lineup and stuff like that. And this is a little bit different in how they set it up, which, again, to me is part of the appeal because it covers a kind of a different world with some degree of overlap. Sometime it would be cool if we we're all able to see at least a day of of this one together. I think I think, to, you know, if they hit the lineup right, I think you guys would dig it. So we'll see what 2024 brings. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think I, I would have minded being at like the Friday night lineup. That would have almost certainly been the, the one I think you would have enjoyed the most. Yeah. I mean, the Foo Fighter, especially, especially if you could do it, uh, you know, as press or something like that. I mean, the Foo Fighters are going to obviously be worth seeing. Uh, like I said, Turnstile, uh, the Interrupters, there was some really good stuff that afternoon. Yeah. And a lot of other stuff to explore between bands. Like I said, there's stuff to keep your attention. It's a unique environment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out. Another thing to them I got. This is very important. I did not have to wait in line for a water bottle refill or a porta potty for more than five minutes the entire weekend. <laughs> That's amazing. They were that well stocked. What about how long? How long did you wait for food? Um, probably about the same. It depends on where you go because there's a couple different food sections. But I went to the less populated one, and I went at times where I think pretty popular bands were playing. 
so I didn't get stuck there very long. It was very convenient, all things considered. You can't really beat it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, and they have a wedding chapel. So, you know, shout out to anybody that got married at a punk festival. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it worked out for (laughs) y'all. So that's what I got. I think that'll do it for our festivals for the year. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) And we'll see what 2024 brings in terms of festivals. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to start off 2024 strong with Shiprock, that's for sure. So (laughs) excited about that. Mm -hmm. Festival on a boat. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening to the Riot Fest recap. And thank you very much for listening to the Itch podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time, let's attend a riot fest. Let's attend a riot. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the itch. Check out the show notes for links about the episode, as well as our new music playlist and where you can hear us every Sunday night. And you can interact with us at itchrocks.com or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. I didn't know where you're going to go with that. (laughs) He's been thinking about that one for a while. He was working on that throughout the (laughs) He's like, oh, I got this. Yep, that's right. (laughs) Parliament Funkadelic. Y'all have been real groovy.